in all bases. We have um, uh, three of our media, audio media people that are out, all out on the same day. And Hank is just doing a great job covering all those bases back there. And we appreciate it, Hank. Thank you. I know it's a stretch, that learning curve and, and everything. And I'm glad you're doing it rather than me. Praise the Lord. All right. More than a fisherman. Our message this morning, taken from Mark's Gospel, comes from the early on in Jesus' ministry where he is walking by the Sea of Galilee. And he hasn't called any disciples yet, but he's about to call his first disciples. And uh, Peter's been out fishing all night, hasn't caught a bit of fish. And <clears throat> he's probably quite frustrated because fishing's uh, strenuous. In those days, they're not casting with a rod and reel. They're throwing these heavy nets and having to draw them in. And <clears throat> their livelihood depends on their ability to go out and spend a night. Can you imagine working a day, a night, and not getting paid? And so he's caught nothing. He's wash, washing out his nets, and he's putting them up. And when Jesus, who is on the seashore teaching, um, turns to Peter, and he says, drop your nets for a catch. And we know the story that right beside the boat, wow, who would have known? There was a ton of fish, and it just fills the nets. And he brings, the, brings them. He, he calls for uh, James and John and his brother, and they all bring the fish to shore. And he realizes this, this Jesus that he's heard about is more than a normal man. And... Um, Jesus had said to Peter, drop your nets for a catch. And you know the story. Peter said, trying not to be sarcastic, he said, Lord, I've been fishing all night. I'm a fisherman. You're obviously a preacher. And let me tell you, there's no fish. But he does it. And, and the result is, of course, that great catch of fish. So Peter turns to Jesus and he says, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He feels how worldly and how unbelieving he is. And he, and he just is ashamed. And he just says, Lord, just go on. Deal with somebody else. I'm not worthy. Go ahead and turn away from me. But Jesus said to him, and in verse 17, Follow me, and I will turn you into fishers of men. Wow, what a statement. I will make you. I will turn you into fishers of men. Now, two weeks ago, in the message from the life of John, how that John saw uh, love, the love of God, as the central motivation of everything that Jesus did, and therefore, he saw his own entire identity as the disciple who Jesus loved. And that was our message we got out of um, couple weeks ago out of the life of John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. But we want to get a message out of the life of Peter. And there's a great message. And that message I already gave it away is more than a fisherman. You may be fishermen, but you are more than a fisherman. And in this message, we're going to see in the life of Peter how that God desires to raise us up and to make us more than we are as ambassadors 
and representatives of his kingdom upon the earth. And so we need to understand, in order to understand our relationship with God, you need to understand this one point, that when Jesus relates with you, he sees you as more than a fisherman. Whatever you are, your vocation, however you have defined yourself in life, I'm a married man, got these children, I do this work, whatever it might be, you are more than a fisherman, and that's how the Lord sees you, and he relates with you that way. All that he says to you, everything he does, is always with that in view that you are in his eyes, and he's always pulling you up and pushing you and dealing with you to draw you into who you are more than a fisherman. Mankind, I am tend to be a bit of a philosophical preacher. I like philosophy. I like looking at life and thinking about what makes things work. And I love seeing patterns in life. And one of the patterns that I see is that man is the only creation of every living thing that God created, both spiritual things and, and natural things. Of every creature, man is the only creation that's upgradable. Some of you have, have applications in your devices, in your computers, and you have to upgrade them from time to time. In all of God's creation, man is the only living, upgradable creature. God made us convertible. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but God made you convertible. It, it's never been the intention of God to just leave you stuck in the person that you are. The Lord is the Lord who has made us to be convertible. Think about it. We were designed to improve. Do you know of any other living thing that was designed to improve? No. Mankind is the only creature designed to improve. In fact, we are so convertible, we are so upgradable, that we can rebound from a downgrade. That's exactly where Adam Leftist Adam de uh, downgraded, degraded, and downgraded the human race. And yet, because we're made convertible and made upgradable, we can rebound. If Adam missed the basket, that's all right. Jesus came and took another shot at it. Bingo. So we can rebound from a downgrade and we can be elevated to a higher purpose in life above whatever station in life we're at. So whatever station in life you're at, even if you were to reach the height of your profession or the height of your goals, you were to achieve them all, God has a higher and elevated place for you. You should know that. You should be praying. You should be seeking that elevation. Praise the Lord. You can be upgraded, and God's will is to elevate you in life. And like I said, there is no other creature that the Lord has made that has that modifiable quality. Even angels, by the way, were created in fixed positions. You know what happened to Lucifer? Lucifer tried to upgrade himself. Lucifer tried to elevate himself. What happened to him? He couldn't do it. It was his downfall because angels are not created to elevate. 
They may, we may think of angels as occupying heaven and having kind of an elevated position, but they cannot change themselves. They cannot leave the position and the function that God created them in. But you and I, we are convertible. We can be made into new creations. Everything prophesied in the Old Testament and all of the teachings and the incredible sayings of Jesus in the Gospels and teachings in the New Testament all point us to something higher, something of an upgrade, something that is elevated. So Lucifer attempted to elevate himself, and he couldn't do it. But listen to what King David, very much a natural man who made mistakes, yet the Lord said, he's a man after my own heart. Listen to what David said. O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto you, and I will look up. And throughout the Psalms, throughout the Bible, God is always inviting us to look up. He's always inviting us to consider. As Paul wrote in Colossians, you are risen with Christ. Risen. Notice the elevation in that word. So seek those things that are above. Once again, the elevation in the words that God inspired the Apostle Paul to write to us For example, also, the scripture most of you know in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. There is no other creature in all creation that has that convertibility. Only man can be made new, a new creation. In Ephesians, Paul went on to say in chapter 2 and verse 6, He has raised us up from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus Christ. And I love this one in Romans 6, 4. It says, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. The fisherman goes into the grave by baptism But like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so you should walk in newness of life. You know, when Jesus encountered Peter and they had that little exchange, and Peter said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Peter did not realize it at first, but Jesus was about to awaken in him an eternal reality that was lying dormant in his being. And Jesus was about to wake that up in him. You see, Peter struggled inside the life of a fisherman. He was trapped inside the life of a fisherman. But something in him, like all of us, reached out to be more. And it was a struggle. But he was about to be elevated from fishermen to sonship with God, and he was about to undergo an apprenticeship with Jesus where he would learn how to integrate with the kingdom of God. He would go from dealing with nets and boats and fish to integrating with the kingdom of God as a son of God. More than a fisherman? I think so. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. A verse came to me 
number of weeks ago when I was first thinking about all of this and this message, God was putting it together for me. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 10, <clears throat> and Jesus said, listen carefully to the elevation in this statement. To you it has been given the opportunity to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Listen to the upgrade in that offer. To you it has been given. Remember, no other creation of God has the right or by design even has the capability of being lifted up and being transformed. But you were designed to improve. You were designed to get better. Don't ever top off. Don't ever say, well, I'm pretty good where I'm at. I think I've achieved something. None of us in this life will ever achieve the pinnacle. We never stop growing. We never stop reaching. We're always reaching for the prize. The Apostle Paul, we, we think of, well, if there was anyone who ever topped off, it was Paul. But even he said, forgetting the things which are behind, I keep reaching for the upward call of God. I am being pulled into a greatness. I am being led. I am being summoned into a glory, into a glory that few people have ever seen. And I'm not sure exactly what it's all going to be like, but I know God is bringing me there. So don't ever settle. Examine yourself this morning as you listen to this message and ask yourself, have I just leveled off in life? Is there still growth that's left in me? Can I transform? Can I be better? You bet you can be better. Hallelujah. You and I have not arrived, and God is working with us. Listen, no fish, no bird, no dog ever complained or lamented about their station in life. You ever woke up and heard your pets going, you know, I'm sick of this. I'm just tired of this. I wish I could be a monkey. I, you know, monkeys, I, I watch them on TV. They act like people. I would like to be a monkey swinging from the trees. No dog ever says, I hate being a dog. Fish, you know, they never tried it. They never climbed. No, the, the, the brilliant humans in their wisdom say that fish crawled out of the sea one day and turned themselves into woolly mammoths. But the reality is, is, we have no evidence that anything like that has or ever will or is even possible. It's not in them. It's not in them. They, they don't have the convertibility. They, they cannot evolve. But you and I are more than fishermen. Man never stops searching for the door to more. Everyone say the door to more. No dog searches for the door to more. Squirrels in your backyard, they're, not, they're looking for nuts. They're not looking for the door to more. They just want to, they live from one nut to the next. Like some people I know. But it's a squirrel's life for some people, but it doesn't have to be. Man is always reaching for the door to more. And the reason I say that is because there is a door created into man, into every one of you. And that door does not exist in any other creature. This door doesn't exist in giraffes. It doesn't exist in horses or any type of animal. 
This door doesn't exist in angels. It only exists in us. Jesus spoke about it in Revelation 3 and 20, and he said, listen, pay attention. I am standing at the door and knocking. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into his home and share a meal with him and he with me. Now, we've all heard that verse before. And I'm sure in our mind we think of the door as just some sort of metaphysical experience or some emotional experience. But he says, the door. There's a definite article. I'm standing at the door. And so my question is, what door? What door is Jesus standing at? Is it the door of front door to my house? Is it, um, is it an abstract door to my life, my thinking, a door to my mind? And in a way, perhaps it is. But I have, I believe, a better answer for you about what door is Jesus standing at? Everyone has this door. Everyone in their life, it's called a soul. Your soul is actually sitting on hinges. God designed your soul as a door. It can open and it can close. I call it the designer's door. Jesus Christ who designed you, designed in his image and likeness, he put your soul on this hinge and it's a door and it remains in every person's life as a gate or a portal with which to reconnect with God. It's what makes salvation possible. God created a door so that when Adam and Eve were driven from that garden, the thing that drove them from the garden wasn't a physical mistake. It was an internal mistake. When that door was closed and an angel stationed with a flaming sword to keep from coming back in, it was the spiritual door of the soul. There's not somewhere in the Middle East an angel on some mountain or in a valley somewhere with a sword that's been there for 6,000 years or more. That door is the door of your soul, the designer's door. Now, that door is there so that one day it can open and the designer, the architect, the king of glory can come in. Are you listening to me? That door can open in the king of glory can come in. Mankind has used that door to open himself to everything in the world. Notice that because that door is there, there's a curiosity, a desire, a hunger, a searching that is never satisfied. People are always migrating through life, going from one thing to the next, looking to better their condition, looking to elevate themselves to understand more, whether it's emotional or physical or mental or whatever it is, there is, a, there is a searching. And so man has used the door of his soul to open up to everything God has put in the world. But regardless of the fact that man has filled his life with the entire world, it hasn't elevated him one millimeter. He is still right where he was when he left the garden and fell into sin. 
He has not moved. In fact, Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, Who of you, by taking thought, can add one measure to your stature? You can't do it, can you? You're still the same. And like that old saying, it should be part of the Bible. It's not in there, but it should be. It's biblical. Wherever you go, there you are. You can't escape your troubles wherever you go. There you are. And so man has been incapable of elevating himself, but when Jesus comes and knocks on that same door that you use to open up to everything else in the world, he stands, he knocks at that door. He doesn't barge through the door, he just knocks at it. And so when Jesus knocks at that door, and when you open to him, he enters your soul and he leads you into life, he leads you into purpose, he leads you into glory. You elevate. And you begin a life of elevation that doesn't stop until you're freed from this physical confine and you are taken into the presence and the glory of the Lord. In John's Gospel, Jesus spoke again of the door and he said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. So Jesus said, if I knock on the door of your soul and you open it, that, that soul, that door changes, and I then am the door. Jesus becomes the thing in our life that opens us, and we become one. Peter, by opening that door, he went from being a fisherman to being a soul winner. I will make you a winner of souls. I will make you what you're not. You can't even catch fish. But when I'm through with you, you will be winning people to the kingdom of God. Remember, as a fisherman, he said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. But as a soul winner, he's at the gate beautiful of the temple, and he says to the crippled man, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he lifted the man up, and the man immediately was miraculously healed. He, Peter, when Jesus spoke to him that day, Jesus saw more than a fisherman. He saw an ambassador of the kingdom of God raising up the lame man at the beautiful gate of the temple. But he had to get Peter to see that. Because Peter would one day have to say, such as I have, I give to you. Peter did not go to that lame man and say, I met a man named Jesus, and, and if you will let me tell you about him, maybe he can help you, which was fine. That's what they did when they were disciples following him, and Jesus was physically with them. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he became the door. Their soul was converted. Listen to me. These things are philosophical. They may seem a little abstract, but they are at the heart of the gospel. These are the kinds of concepts you have to get a hold of. They will revolutionize your life. They will change how you see yourself, which will change how you walk in your life. And so Peter eventually becomes that man who is able to say, 
I have something, and I am authorized to offer it to you in the name of Jesus. In other words, I am not the King of glory. I am not the Messiah. I'm not the Savior. But we are really close. In fact, we're so close, the only word that describes our relationship is convertibility, conversion. I have been upgraded. I haven't been upgraded, which turned me into Jesus. I've been upgraded, and I'm the body of Jesus. You can't get any closer and not be Jesus than being the body. Let me talk about Peter's upgrade and how it took place. I think one of the, uh, I think one of the really telling moments in Jesus' relationship with Peter is, is the one where Jesus has his disciples in Matthew 16, and he's saying, who do people say that I am? And <clears throat> the disciples start to say, well, some say that you're this prophet, or some say that you're Elijah, and some say this or that. And <clears throat> he says to Peter, he said, Peter, who do you say that I am? Now, up to this point, Peter's name is what? Simon. Peter was born and given the name Simon. So Simon uh, uh, Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah. And, um, and so it says in this account, when Jesus asked him, Simon, who do you say that I am? Simon answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus then answered back and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. There was an upgrade right there. I'm ch I, you, have, you have experienced a transforming experience and I must give you a new name that befits the upgrade. You are no longer Simon. You are now Peter. And, and Peter, being the masculine form of the word Petra, means a piece of the rock. Now Jesus is the rock. And he says to Peter, I tell you, now that you've had this revelation as to who I am, I tell you, you are a piece of the rock. And I, upon this rock, will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now listen, Peter used to talk about snook and redfish and catching mullet in nets. That was his world. Now Jesus says, you're going to be dealing with the gates of hell? You couldn't get fish into a net. You're going to be kicking in the gates of hell. They will not prevail against you. My church, my community, the kingdom of God is going to be built on this, which you're a piece of, this rock of revelation that you're a piece of. Hallelujah. And then Jesus says, and I will give to you the keys to the kingdom and whatever you will bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. See, he's integrating with heaven. You are integrating. You are the, the physical, mechanical integration with the earth of the spirit of the kingdom of God. Woo! 
Hallelujah. That is absolutely, you guys are really sitting there just kind of, but, my, but inside me, it, stuff is just jumping around, and I know this stuff. But just saying it stirs me up. I don't know about you. Did, does anyone, you, you, you preach to yourself stuff, read, preach to yourself stuff, and get all excited, run around the house, and go, whoo, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I mean, what are those paddles um, they use in the... Clear. We may, we may need to get some of those. But at any rate, he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you release on earth is released in heaven. Oh, my God, that is a mind blower. So when Simon the fisherman declares to Jesus, you are the Messiah, then Jesus turns around and reveals to Simon who he is. You are more than a fisherman. In fact, I have to change your name and give you a name that's a little bigger that can contain the identity of who I am turning you into. And he says, this rock of revelation that the Father has given you, flesh and blood didn't give it to you, it came from heaven. This revelation and people like you who have it in them, that's what I'm building my church on. It's not going to be people who get together enough money to buy a, and get a, you know, a fancy speaker and somebody knows the Bible and collect people around them. You know, that's religion. Jesus wasn't the least bit interested in religion because people can create religion. The true church of Jesus Christ is supernatural. Man can't create it. Man can't keep it together and man can't kill it. It's built upon a rock of revelation that came from heaven. And that's what Jesus said. And he said, and I'll tell you what, if you're in this church, I will, you will have the keys to the kingdom. And the men and the women with you in this church, they will insert those keys into the obstacles of the earth and they will unlock the answers and they will lock up the enemies. Hallelujah. My God, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So let me talk for a, a minute or two about these ambassadors' keys, because that's what they are. You're an ambassador, my church is an embassy, and I give you the ambassadorial keys. Let me show you where the, I believe the keys are located in the Old Testament. It's in one of my favorite <clears throat> verses of Scripture in Psalm 24, 9 and 10. It says, Lift up your heads, O gates. And lift them up, O ancient doors. There we have the doors. What were we talking about a minute ago? There is a door in every human being. There are doors. When God looks at humans, when he sees people, he sees doors. And he starts knocking on them. Did, now, did, I, did that go past somebody or did you get that? When God looks at people, he sees doors. If you want to be a soul winner, you better start seeing people as doors. And know that those doors have opened to all kinds of things in life. And they're seeking elevation. And you need to tell them, there's a reason why you want a bigger house. There's a reason why you want a better job. You're the, there's a reason why you're going to marriage counseling so that your marriage will be better. We're always wanting to improve. 
We're always wanting to escape the downgrade and rebound from it. We're always wanting to rise up. There is a hunger because you have in you a soul and it is a door. And you've been opening it to everything but the designer, everything but the architect. But if you open it, the king of glory will come in. Who is this king of glory? He is the king of the universe, the king of kings and lord of lords. So lift up your head, O gates. These are the keys. And lift them up, O ancient doors, and the king or so that the king of glory can come in. Who is the king of glory? But the Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. Now I've taught you that, that glory in a very understandable way is function. How come we're not functioning? Our business isn't functioning. Our family isn't functioning. My life isn't functioning. I've gotten an education. I've, I've paid in and yet I'm not achieving, I'm not getting anywhere. There's a breakdown, a failure of function. You see, it's your glory to excel. It is your glory to, to be all that God has called you to be. And if you're not getting there, there is a failure of function. That's called a failure of glory. If you will open the door, the king of what? Function, the king of function, the king of glory will come in and will... Uh, remove the obstacles and get you functioning like you're supposed to be functioning. Praise the Lord. Those ambassadorial keys that Jesus announced to Peter would be given to him, they unlock all of the blinding obstacles that keep sinners from seeing their door of deliverance and opening it so that the king of glory can come in. You see, sinners use that door all the time. They just open it to whatever attracts them through TV commercials. I'm, I'm not going to you know, stand up here and tell you that I don't do it because, as you can see, those of you that know me for any length of time, I am quite influenced. TV commercials can get to me. I'm like, I've got to have that. Yes, indeed. Ooh, that is, that is shy. If I could get that, I would sound better. I would look better, which is important. You know, so we, we are always opening those doors to things that, and God is so good. I mean, I love him. He is so wonderful. He knows that about us, and he doesn't like, you need to stop putting your mind on natural things. You need to be more like John the Baptist. Um, so, and, but he's not like that, is he? He's not. He understands. It's all right that we open this door to other things, but it's not all right that Jesus has to stand there and knock, and we don't open it to him. That's not all right. You see, that's where our problem is. We're not using the keys of the kingdom to elevate, to advance into what God has for us. Let me ask a question because I, uh, I, I, I sat in my, my time of study and researching this and a question came up to me and it is a, I mean it's a million dollar question. Why would God design a door into man that could shut him out? 
Why would God? Dogs can't deny Jesus. Squirrels, they just do squirrel stuff, but they don't deny Jesus. Why would God put a door in us that we could shut in his face? And he put it in there deliberately knowing we could shut it in his face, knowing we were going to shut it in his face. Why would God do a thing like that? You need to ruminate a little bit on that question and just let it percolate. When you leave this church, I want you to take that question with you and I want you to really let it percolate and think about it because the answer will set you free. The simple answer is that that same door of free will that closed to God and people worked so hard to ignore the knock of Jesus on that door to make sure they don't open it to the Lord. But that door, that door of free will that God put in us, God did it for this one reason. He knew that one day that door would open voluntarily to welcome the King of Glory back in. And there is no other creation that has that ability. Why is that? Because we were made in the image and likeness of God. The image and likeness of God, now listen to me. God is not good because he can't help himself. God is not good because he doesn't have the ability to be bad. God can do anything. And I've heard the ridiculous theologians, I've read the articles that have been written through the centuries about could God make a rock so big he couldn't push it, so God can't do everything. And you really have to have a pinhead to come up with stuff like that. The people that write stuff like that are theologians. They don't know God. They just know about theology. They really don't know him. They would never say a thing like that. But let me tell you, God made us in his image and likeness. And what is it that finally separates God from angels and from every other thing is God chooses to be the way he is. He saves you because he wants to save you. He loves you because he loves you. Not because he's good and he can't do anything but love you. So why did he put a door in Adam? that Adam could use to shut God out because Adam needed a door by which he could turn around and with his own will choose God, choose the King of glory, choose his glory and his goodness. God saw that sinners would choose his goodness. He saw that the dying would reach for life and that the fallen would seek a rebound and a new purpose. And that's why you have a soul. That's why there is a door. And that's why Jesus is knocking at your door. I'm going to end this message. There's more, but you have to fill it in. You have to go and take this message and think about it and let the Holy Ghost preach the rest of it to you. But uh, I'll close with this one thought. There are doors of glory concealed within fishermen out there. The world is filled with doors of glory concealed 
in fishermen. Fishermen who, like Peter, have no idea that there is an eternal reality waiting to be awakened within them. And Jesus, the voice knocking at the door. And those doors of glory concealed within the lives of fishermen are struggling to find their glory in life. And most of those struggles involve failure and shame and disappointment and heartache and sometimes pride. But the king of glory has come to open those doors and to lift those fishermen into their destiny. And you and I are called to be his ambassadors. When the door of your life was opened and those hinges yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ, you became his ambassador because you became one with him. Hallelujah. What he wants to do with the world is, is in you percolating. It is your glory. So here's a practical, simple thought. That scripture I always quote, lift up your head, O ye gates, and lift them up, O everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. If you lived in Palm Harbor, you live in St. Pete, you live in uh, Pinellas Park or, or, or Tarpon Springs, Largo, Clearwater, in your neighborhood, you work in a particular area, you have a circle of people that you are around. You have what I call a sphere of influence. God owns that sphere of influence because he owns you. You're purchased by the blood of the Lamb. He wants access to your environment. Does he have it? Does he really have what is your job? What are you more than a fisherman? You are a door of glory whose head is supposed to be lifted up, who is supposed to open up because the king of glory wants to enter through you and get to the areas where you influence society and influence life. You are those doors of glory that the king of glory wants to enter. I think one of the most tragic things is that the church spends tremendous amount of time praying for revival, praying that God would save sinners, praying for the harvest. Now that, of course, is not wrong, not bad. We should be doing that. But if we don't connect it to the realization that we are the door that has to open up so that the king of glory can come in, then we're only doing half a work. It's like, it's like being one-legged. And, you know, you can't get anywhere with just one leg. So if you will close your Bible and stand with me this morning, I'd like to offer this just one simple little focus before we go. How can I open up the door of my life a little more so that the keys of the kingdom, so that the king of glory can come in. Are you praying for somebody that you have a relationship with? Are you in a situation that you're interceding for? Are you willing to be the door in that situation? Now, God may say, I just want you to pray. And for now, just wait. You do what he says to do. But even prayer is a form of opening the door. When you intercede in obedience and the Lord wants you to begin to pray for somebody or pray for something and he puts it on your heart, 
and you agree and you begin to integrate, you're using the keys of the kingdom. So I never discount those prayers. Um, and I never say that just because you pray for something, you're the person who needs to go run and do the physical part of that work to produce the answer. But I am going to tell you this morning, if you're praying for something, you probably should open your heart and say, Lord, do you want me to do something about this? Do you want me to do something? And then let him tell you. But you do that with the understanding the king of glory wants to come into this situation. I'm praying for Fred because the king of glory wants to enter Fred's life. And so I'm praying, Lord, open the door of his heart. And the Lord might be saying, Nick, you are part of my opening of the door. I connected you with this guy so that you could talk to him. And if you go and talk with him, I want you to tell him this or to say this or that to him. You see, that's soul winning. That's becoming more than a fisherman. You may still spend your life catching fish, but you are now living as more than a fisherman. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we hear heaven calling, saying, and I say to you, Simon, you are upgraded this day. Your name is now a piece of the rock. You're a piece of me. Lord, we have all been given that nickname. And Lord, there is a door of, in my heart that I open. I lift up the, the gate of my head. I lift up my hands, my heart to you, my thoughts. I set my affection on above. Elevate whatever in me that you want to elevate, O oh God. Praise the Lord. Whatever holds me back, let it just go. Let it just be buried with the baptism and washed and left, rinsed away. And Father God, we come to you. Show us, Lord, how to open these doors that are around us that are still shut. Help us guide people so that they will be able to know the distinction between your knock and the knock of commercials on television and other such things. Help us to interface. Help us, Lord, to be those embassies, those living embassies of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' mighty name, it is our desire. Lift up our vision so the king of glory can come in. Lord, I believe that there are still people in this county that are supposed to be saved. If you believe that with me, while you're praying with me, then let your will engage. Lord, we believe there are more people that are supposed to be in the kingdom of God. Therefore, Lord, we pray, help us to open the door so that the King of Glory can come in. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And if there's anybody who is watching this video that doesn't know Jesus, we're going to take this closing moment and give you opportunity to answer that knock upon the door in your life. Your soul is yours. God gave it to you. It's the most precious thing you have. You've used it 
to search for meaning and purpose in your life and satisfaction, that's okay. God wants you to be satisfied. He wants you to be happy. And He wants you to be fulfilled. He doesn't want you to be miserable. And so He's knocking on the door because you'll never really be happy or fulfilled with anything in the world. You're meant to get your life from Him. And so ask Him to come in right now and pray this prayer. Father, I ask Jesus to come into my life. I hear you knock upon my heart's door. I open it and I say, Lord, you are the Messiah. You are the Savior. There is no other. You are it. You are God who made every kindred, every tongue, every nation. You created all people. And I open my door and let you in today. Make me your child. Send your spirit, the Holy Spirit, into my life, I ask. And I thank you for welcoming me into your eternal heavenly family. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, tell somebody. Go run into somebody you know and tell them I gave my life to Jesus. People, if you would, join me. Just lift your hands. And let's... Let's just thank the Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you for lifting us up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for us. Now may the Father of glory cause his wonderful light to shine on your face. And through you, let that wonderful light of fellowship shine out to others. May the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit just continue to increase in your life. May the wonderful love of Jesus circulate so that you have need of nothing and your faith is strong. And as you go out into this new week, you will meet it as a, as a warrior of faith, a servant of God, as a lover of mankind. The answer is with you. And I believe that God is going to do great things through you this week. Amen and amen. God bless you, everybody. Praise the Lord.